Okay, welcome to another episode of the Startup Sack podcast, interviews with Sacramento startup founders and innovators. Today I've got Mike Hart on the phone. Mike is the president and CEO of Sierra Energy, a waste gasification and renewable energy company, as well as the CEO of the Sierra Railroad Company. He's also playing a key part in a new heavy incubator or accelerator space in Davis called Area 52. Welcome, Mike, and thanks for taking the time for this interview. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. So I think the biggest challenge in interviewing someone like Mike, who's done so much and is involved with so many things, is narrowing it down. Um, we could do lots of different interviews over the time, but I thought today I'd focus on Area 52, and if we have time, get an update on where things are at with Sierra Energy. So Mike, can you talk a little bit about Area 52 and give us an update on where things are at with that, where it is, first of all? Sure. Well, for starters, um, the, the whole need for Area 52 arose because of what we do with Sierra Energy. We've spent uh, the greater part of the last decade developing our waste gasification technology. Um, a lot of the early work was done over at McClellan Park and uh, at the Renewable Energy Testing Center. There's a fantastic resource, which is no longer there, unfortunately. Um, but that gave us the opportunity of building early prototypes of getting our clean technology out there, uh, where it could be seen by the Army and people like that who eventually provided us funding to build our first commercial system, which, by the way, is under construction and hopefully will be done in the next few weeks. Um, so it's exciting, but it's a decade's worth of work went into that. Um, when we actually um, decided to build um, you know, physical prototypes, it's not easy finding a place to do that, where the machining equipment is, is available, um, where there's people that are knowledgeable about what you need to do to do fabrication. It's simply not easy to find. And so when we decided to build um, our system and we needed a larger facility to do it, than the, the place we'd been in downtown Davis for the last decade. We decided um, to acquire uh, the former flying car company, actually, that's uh, on Research Park Drive in Davis. It's a four and a half acre campus, 38,000 square foot facility um, with extensive machining shops. And so the idea was that, well, it's, it's certainly adequate for what we need to do for, so to support our clean energy technology. But we realized there was a lot of potential here for other companies that are also doing similar projects that need the ability to build that first-of-its-kind prototype. Um, and so we decided to expand beyond just the Sierra Energy Research Park, which is what we're doing. We decided to expand it to include the idea of an Area 52, a place where dreamers, people that have some kind of um, interesting new idea or new company they're trying to start, can build that first of its kind prototype or those early on renditions of their technology so people can see what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. You can only wave your hand so much before you actually have to build something and people can see what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's the purpose of Area 52. So what are some examples of, uh, maybe you can help people understand the kind of technologies or what might be built there or incubated there? Um, for example, uh, working with a company right now that has an interesting technology that can take synthesis gas and turn it into fertilizer, um, you know, basically making urea. Um, building that is not simple. Um, there's a number of complicated vessels you have to build. There's catalysts and reactors and such. 
it's, you know, you can only do so much in a lab and as far as, far as building some sort of nanoscale model when you actually need to build something that can produce that, um, that first actual tangible product, um, you need a facility that can actually support your efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, when somebody is building, for example, um, a, a water turbine or something like that, where they need to build a first of its kind system, building that first piece of technology isn't simple. You need a facility that can support it. So the idea was sharing what we're doing with others in our community, in the greater Sacramento community, and give them a place to take those technologies and build them out. Now, what happened is, is that we acquired the facility uh, the latest ha- later half of 2015 and began our discussions um, with UC Davis. And what came out of those discussions is, you know, we, we had started off just focused on clean energy, which is our space and an area we know very well. Um, but there's a need for a lot of other technologies that are coming from UC Davis, uh, which is just new companies and new ideas are flowing out of Davis right now at an unprecedented pace for the university. Is that like ag tech and biotech mostly or? Well, there, there's actually a variety. So, I mean, obviously the life sciences, biotech is, is a, a very strong element for UC Davis, but also in the areas of, of drones, mm. um, robotics, medical tech, um, and particularly in the area of ag. You know, smart ag is a huge space for the university. And also where there are crossovers, for example, where you have drones that are designed specifically for agriculture. Um, so there's a need to not only build and fabricate those kind of drones that can do um, targeted application of fertilizers, targeted applications or removal of pests um, using drones, but you actually need a place to not only build them, but to test them. Mm-hmm. And so part of what we're doing here is actually putting in a large covered area, uh, which is required by the FAA, um, so you can actually test those flying drones legally um, in an agricultural setting to make sure that they don't uh, cause any problems for people in the area. And so they need a, a significant facility. And working with the university, we've developed a partnership um, over the course of the last year that will now allow us to support not just in the clean energy space, but in these other areas as well, these other domains of, of university expertise. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this is going to be really customized stuff. Um, once they once they build their their manufacturing equipment to to build their stuff, I mean, you must expect them to stay in this incubator space for for quite a while if they're building these custom machinery to build their products, right? Well, actually, I think the the hope of most startups is to graduate. I mean, they mm-hmm. they come in. They, they and by the way, there's there's a range of support that you can offer a startup, mm-hmm. okay. and a lot of people use these words interchangeably, and they actually have very very different meanings. Meanings, for example, a maker space is a place where people can come and do fabrication. Um, there are a number of places where you can do that. There are um, incubators. Incubators are typically a place where there's there's a bit of office space. And there's some degree of support, and that is people um, will provide courses and programs to help you better understand you know, what the opportunities are. There's co-working spaces, which are sometimes just offices where you can have a drop-in or a small space to work. There are accelerators, which are a completely different thing. They typically provide all of the elements mentioned before, but then add in a program of funding. And that is that it's most startups 
when people talk about, oh, we're going to provide support, and they, that usually means a lot of mentoring, and we're going to provide a lot of uh, coursework and office space. And the, the, the entrepreneur is sitting here nodding, just going, there's only one word I want to hear, <laughs> funding. <laughs> I mean, everything else is great, but where's the money? Mm-hmm. And that's what an accelerator provides. And so do you so, characterize Area 52 as more of an accelerator or an incubator? or What's, what's your terminology to characterize Area 52? We see it as an accelerator okay. because the, the point is that for most entrepreneurs that are, are at early stage and trying to, to build something, they're going to need money. Mm-hmm. And so in working with other accelerators in the region, we've actually spent quite a lot of time in, in developing uh, strategic alliances with other accelerators coming out of the Bay Area mostly. Um, that are in the life sciences or in uh, various technologies, they're looking for opportunities to get into the nearly billion dollars a year of research coming out of UC Davis. Right now, there are no venture capital firms based in Davis, none. There are 400 between Stanford and Berkeley. Davis does more research than they do. It's, It's ridiculous that the venture capital community hasn't found or discovered Davis yet. Now, there are people that are in Sacramento that have been laboring a long time trying to support the entrepreneurial community in this region. Um, But the big, massive funds that are based in the the, the Silicon Valley in San Francisco simply haven't found a place to alight in uh, this region. And we're giving them a place to do that at our Area 52. Are you thinking, or do you think Area 52 will, will serve as an attractor to the VC funds from the Bay Area? We already know it will. We've, we've had discussions with a number of them that are looking to set up offices um, in our facility. Oh, that's fantastic. So right now, uh, you put out, uh, I think last week, um, taking applications of interest for Area 52. So you're, you're taking applications for people, companies who want to uh, join your space. How's that going? Very well. One of the problems that we've had is over the course of the last, oh gosh, just just over a year now, um, we've had many, many dozens of organizations have come in saying, we urgently need uh, a place to do this. We need a space to do that. So we have all of these these, uh, interests that people have expressed to us over time. But the problem is that we only now are actually going to be able to start taking people physically in. And status has changed. And so what I'm looking for is who currently is actively looking for space to do something developing these, these um, either physical prototyping or actually just needing a place to start for their businesses. Now, originally, we were focused just on UC Davis technologies. But in discussions with Barry Broom and, and the greater Sacramento regional uh, efforts that he's been leading, there's a need for companies coming out of Sacramento as well. Mm-hmm. So we've opened our doors wider. And the idea is that people that are looking for a place to do their startups, um, we're giving them that opportunity uh, at our Area 52 um, here in Davis. So have you had many uh, applicants so far? Dozens. The idea is, is that we're going to start sorting through them. To, to put it in perspective, I mean, one accelerator um, in the Bay Area organization, well, I won't say their name, but, anyways, but one of them um, in just one of their verticals, and a vertical is just one area of expertise, mm-hmm. um, for one accelerator, they'll typically go through a thousand applications um, two or three times a year to winnow it down to 12 mm-hmm. that they'll actually provide support for. So 
Now, obviously, that's after a lot of experience, and you know they have an enormous number of organizations interested in participating. We're just starting, so mm-hmm. we have much more modest ambitions. Mm-hmm. But we want to see what the Sacramento region has as far as organizations that are looking for an opportunity to find a place to start. Mm-hmm. So I believe the deadline is January 23rd. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're, we're starting um, looking at the first class. And um, we'll go through the, the, the ones we have at that point, make a decision um, about whether we will, uh, you know, which ones that we'll select and get started. Okay. So for anybody who, uh, <laughs> we'll get this posted uh, in the next day or so, uh, anybody listening to the podcast, if, what are you looking for in an applicant? Mostly we're looking for, for companies that have a clear purpose in mind as far as what they want to achieve. Um, and they have very distinct um, metrics, and that is that there is some specific objective they would like to achieve within a relatively um, discernible period of time. It sounds funny, but it's a lot of people go, oh, I've got a great idea, I want to do X. But it's like, no, you need to break that down into steps. What proof do you need to achieve within the course of the next three months to take you to the next level, to make it possible for you to receive funding? Those are the kind of organizations we need where they have a very discrete step they need to take where having our organization help them could get them to that next step. Mm-hmm. Okay, good to know. Um, so what's your vision for the kind of companies and technology that you want to see come out of Area 52? And what happens after this first cohort? Well, I think a couple of things. The, the kind of technologies we're hoping to see um, I, yeah, I'd like to see more Sierra Energies, quite frankly. I mean, we've spent <laughs> many, many millions of dollars in you know, 13 years of my life trying to develop a technology that will genuinely make the world a better, better place. Our technology can get rid of all forms of waste and turn it to clean energy and reduce global greenhouse gas between 10 and 20%. That's huge. That's huge. I'm looking for other technologies like that. You know, tell me you've come up with a new food truck idea. I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. Tell me that you've come up with something that's going to make a, you know, <laughs> well, some sort of consumer product. Again, not interested. Game changers. We're looking for things that are going to materially make the world a better place. Awesome. That is our fundamental driving goal. And so show me a technology that has the potential of doing that, and you have my interest. Awesome. That's great to hear. So you mentioned Sierra Energy. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you've got a system that turns trash into renewable energy. Um, what's the latest on how that implementation, and I believe you're doing some kind of licensing. How's all that going? Very well. The, the, what our technology can do, um, any community could take, in fact, if you go on SierraEnergy.com, we have um, a system on there where you can actually figure out what the economics would be for any county in America. Uh, we have, uh, at this point, I think six, thousand requests at this point um, where people have said I want to use one of these gasifiers provided it works the way it's supposed to um, in our community and so we've set up a calculator so people can actually figure out how much waste there is we already have all the data from all of the counties in the United States where waste is currently going um, they could figure out if they take that waste stream and turn it into energy whether or not it would be profitable or not you know I, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of government regulation, (laughs) and I don't believe that government policies are what makes the world a better place. Generally, what made the world kind of messed up is the profit motive in the first place, 
And the only solution is going to be the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that is unless you come up with a technology that's profitable, it's not going to change the world. You need to come up with something so that people's um, profit motivation is what's going to have them do the right thing in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so we've come up with a technology that can profitably turn waste to clean energy. And that's the key word. If you just tell them, oh, well, there's a government regulation that says you have to do it, it'll take decades before you see any impact to our planet. Show the waste companies, show the communities around the world where they can make a profit getting rid of waste and reducing global greenhouse gas, you could change the planet overnight. Mm-hmm. That's what we're looking for. And that's why we went into the idea of licensing. We realized that we're too small a company. You know, we, 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 there's no way that we're going to be able to satisfy global demand for our technology. So we decided to focus on licensing. And we wanted to create a way to make any community in the world give the people there, the local entrepreneurs, a way that they'll make the profit. Because mm-hmm. if I focus on making our company rich and not sharing, it's stupid. Nobody's going to do it. So the idea is put the profit in the hand of the local entrepreneur. They know the local regulations. They know the local connections. They know their local waste streams. Give them the tools they need to not only make their community a better place, but to make themselves rich in the process. Mm-hmm. Our objective is to see tens of thousands of these entrepreneurs empowered around the world by granting them exclusive rights to use our technology in their communities. And then they would be able to take that technology, get rid of the waste, create a renewable source of power that has a negative carbon footprint and make themselves rich in the process. <laughs> so that's, that's getting back to the profit motive, make it, make it, uh, Enticing to people to make money off of this technology, basically. Absolutely. But by the way, I, I said something I should clarify. When I say a negative carbon footprint, um, what I mean is, is that every time you throw away a ton of waste into a landfill, it creates methane gas. Mm-hmm. Methane is 84 times more potent to greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. That's a huge number. One ton of garbage makes more than two tons of greenhouse gas equivalent in the form of that methane. So it's enormously destructive to our planet when you throw waste away. Mm -hmm. And so what our technology does is takes that waste, uses our process to break it down molecularly, and we recover a gas called syngas or synthesis gas. In our case, it's carbon monoxide and hydrogen is what we're recovering. Carbon monoxide and hydrogen are both excellent fuel gases. You can either use that to make electricity with an extraordinarily low amount of emissions, or you can actually run that through a catalyst and make diesel that's 20 times cleaner than the California fuel standard, Mm -hmm. Um, or just simply use the hydrogen for vehicles that don't pollute in the first place. So there are a tremendous number of opportunities once you've created that synthesis gas. And by the way, Anything else that was in that garbage, for example, let's say you, there was metal or glass that was left in the trash that wasn't recycled. People weren't good at picking that out. Our gasifier heats it up to over 4,000 degrees. And at that temperature, all waste breaks down. You end up with a liquid metal, liquid stone that you're able to recover and do 100% recycling. Cool. So it's 100% recycling with a negative carbon footprint. 
Very, very cool. Um, so it's, it's interesting you talk about the profit motive versus government regulations because there's a lot of uncertainty about the impact of the new federal administration on clean energy initiatives. So really, you're kind of totally bypassing that whole discussion because you're making it profitable for people to uh, license this technology and, and do not only make a profit, but do good for the planet. And let me be clear, I think that the problem of global greenhouse gas and the problems facing us environmentally do deserve government attention. And if there is one place where government regulation is appropriate, this is certainly it. Um, But my point is, is that government disincentives, government uh, programs and things like that tend to be very difficult to navigate for small companies. Um, For emerging technologies, if you rely on the government, it'll take you a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had to look in other directions as well. And truthfully, making it profitable is the easiest solution. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you think about solar, um, solar was not a particularly profitable um, technology for decades. You know, there were very narrow niches where solar was appropriate. And so government incentives that were used to support the solar industry, and wind as well, um, were appropriate. Um, as they are now becoming highly competitive, um, you know, the amount of government subsidy is falling away. Well, there are lots of other technologies that are at those same stages that solar and wind were 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so providing support for those, those fledgling technologies certainly makes sense because we want to have uh, you know, a rich assortment of, of different technologies available to the public um, as time goes on. Yeah, one thing that, that 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 blows me away is the idea of subsidizing clean energy, and that is that I, I hear that from the incoming administration that they're you know that no 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 it should it should go for um, you know we should go with conventional fossil fuels because we don't we don't give any subsidy. That's ridiculous. There's an enormous amount of subsidy attached to, to <laughs> fossil fuels. Yes, um, and so. Saying that you don't want to provide a subsidy, well, if you're, you're honest about it, do full accounting, um, a balanced pl- a playing field would, would favor clean energy by a huge margin. In fact, the Department of Defense is probably the leading advocate in this country for clean energy by a huge margin. It's not, <laughs> people think it's the Department of Energy. It's not. It's the Department of Defense. You spend time working with the generals and the admirals there in the, the Department of Defense they believe in energy independence more strongly than anyone else in the American government. They want our forces to be able to use renewable sources of energy that are American or domestically created, ideally created out there in the field so they don't have to return to go pick up fuel when they need it. Mm-hmm. So the strongest advocates for renewable energy in this country is the DOD. Mm-hmm. And I think the incoming administration is, is slowly coming to grips with that reality. Okay. So, um, do you think that, are you doing anything differently at Siri Energy to prepare for the shifts in national policy that may come? Not really. Okay. I mean, it, the, the, the incoming administration, um, you know, I'll let them figure it out as far as, um, you know, our role. Um, but the point is, is that um, I, I don't, <laughs> what, what's that old saying? That put not your faith in princes. I mean, <laughs> put, putting any sort of faith in you know government programs is a is a recipe for disaster Mm -hmm. you need to rely on the free market Mm -hmm. and 
that's step one in a successful business. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, kind of shifting gears slightly. Um, I was at a startup grind about a year ago where you, Rich Foreman interviewed you and you said that you believe the Sacramento region is the green tech hub of the nation. So that's, I think it's been about a year. What's your report card over the last year or so about green tech and clean tech here? Any new green developments or anything we've fallen behind on here? Um, I think the, um, I think Sacramento has done tremendous things in the course of the last year. I think, um, uh, Kevin Johnson and his initiatives to try and support uh, entrepreneurism, I think, has been fantastic. I think uh, incoming Mayor Daryl Steinberg uh, is going to be an enormous uh, driver for growth in Sacramento as far as the entrepreneurial community mm -hmm. um, and for clean energy. The number of people that I talk to um, in clean energy startups in this region is growing every day. Um, it's very impressive to me particularly on the, I don't know how to put it, but the, the soft side of clean energy, um, that seems to be predominant in this area. And that is that you've got uh, people that are looking for demand reduction models, um, software programs, apps that allow people to shed or reduce demand. Um, that is a, a huge area of opportunity. And a lot of things in the, um, the bio-size space, and that is, is that um, biological processes that create clean fuels, um, that's, you know, I mean, catalysts and such, that's a huge area of growth in this region. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, it's not as much as the mechanistic systems, and that is, you know, new solar panels or new rotors or something like that isn't the biggest driver, mm -hmm. but it's these soft side technologies. And we're a huge fan of that because those things can have faster implementation um, than the traditional mechanical piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. So you think we're still doing the right things here? Absolutely. I think our region is, is well poised to become, uh, as I said, the green capital of America, perhaps the world. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned uh, Daryl Steinberg and the city of Sacramento. Um, they recently announced plans to be a, a player in developing autonomous vehicle policy, becoming a, a test city for autonomous vehicles. Um, I wonder what your thoughts are on that and if that maybe presents some opportunities for clean tech and, and clean energy here in the region. Certainly. I think there's a, a, a tremendous opportunity in what he's doing. I, I thought it was sad um, when the, 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 the Uber um, yeah. opportunity went away to, to Arizona. Yeah. And I think this was the right thing um, to do as far as taking our highly bureaucratic state and finding some uh, safe zones <laughs> mm -hmm. where, um, you know, entrepreneurial activity and innovation can flourish. Sacramento is a fantastic test grounds for it. Um, I can't think, I honestly can't think of a better place on earth than the Sacramento region for that kind of innovation. Not only are we the eighth most powerful economy in our own right, but you're right there. And that is the legislators representing the state um, are, you know, are right there when you're able to show innovative technologies. This is the place where people can see it. Mm -hmm. Also, keeping in mind that Sacramento, um, you know, is, is the place where people from all over the world come to call. You know, when they're looking to, to deal with California government and such, right. um, they're here already. So this is an enormous opportunity to showcase technologies like autonomous cars and such, um, which are directly linked as a clean energy technology. Because as you're building these new cars, you're not putting some giant diesel spewing engine on <laughs> these things. Generally, they're electric motors right. uh, or hydrogen. 
So you're, you're creating an opportunity for a whole new class of vehicle that's not only smarter, but cleaner as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good to hear, and I'm sure a lot of the administration will like hearing that as well. So uh, I think second to last question, um, you're, I, I believe, a UC Davis alum, right? I am indeed. And so I think you're involved in a lot of the programs there, like the Big Bang. Um, and as an outsider, I, I kind of feel like the, the at least the grassroots um, startup ecosystem here in the region is a little bit disconnected from uh, UC Davis and Sac State. So I'm wondering how do you think the startup and innovation community as a whole in the region can get better connected with all the great stuff coming out of UC Davis and Sac State? Well, I mean, the, it's sort of our, our classic, it's the Causeway Classic writ large here between Sac State and UC Davis, um, you know, between the two schools. Um, you know, there's been rivalry and competition between the two communities for as long as I can remember. But it's this when you're when you're dealing with entrepreneurial opportunities, um, there's nothing but support. Every time that I talk to engineers from Sac State, they're talking about how they can collaborate with technologies coming out of UC Davis and vice versa. So there is a strong belief in collaboration between those two schools. And more importantly, the Big Bang competition, which is the the premier program in this region, has been going on for, I guess it's probably about 15 years at this point. Um, I've been involved since the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Big Bang is this fantastic program that was originally started to help people from the Graduate School of Management help start new companies and present a business idea. Well, it expanded beyond that to bring in all the colleges at Davis and people with other innovative technologies were included. Eventually, it's been expanded to people that are in the community that are also tied to the college in some way or another. Well, this year, it's broader than that. It's open to everyone. If you've got an innovative idea, bring it to the Big Bang. There is no better program that I am aware of anywhere. And I'm not talking about just in this community. I mean anywhere in this mm-hmm. country where you're going to be able to learn the nuts and bolts of starting a new t- company from the ground up, all the different stages. You can actually come with an idea and come out potentially with a check. The Big Bang program not only teaches you, provides fantastic mentoring, then takes you through a process where you actually can be selected and they're giving bigger and bigger prizes every year. And so this is an opportunity to learn and potentially get paid. And uh, we should, that's a great segue because I believe applications are open for that right now, aren't they? They definitely are. And they, it, it is absolutely the premier program in this country. I'm not aware of any other college anywhere else that puts on a better student-run organization anywhere in this country. Yeah, and it was great to see. I think it was just announced a few weeks ago or a month ago that it's open to the general public now. So that was great to see. The heck of an interview. Cleve Justice and his team are doing a fantastic job with this. Great. So I encourage everybody out there um, to I'll put some information on the website about how to apply for the Big Bang competition so that they can do that. It looks to me like the uh, deadline is goes or the ends the 23rd. So you've got about another week. So, 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 so. Yeah, please. And, and if, if, you, if you can't get your idea articulated or you can't get your team together, don't worry about it. Just participate because 
there's a lot of matchmaking events that go on where you can build your team as you go. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good to hear. So last question. Uh, so we don't want to take up too much more of your time. What's next? Uh, what can we expect next from Mike Hart and Sierra Energy? <laughs> um, I have to say that the, the most exciting thing right now is getting this first commercial system of ours running. It's going to be down at an army base, Fort Hunter Liggett, uh, which is down in Monterey County. Um, over the course of the next um, few weeks, we're going to finish uh, getting all of our equipment there on site and begin the commissioning. Uh, hopefully, over the course of the next two or three months, it's going to work the way we expect. <laughs> I have every faith in our engineering team that it will, mm-hmm. um, provided it works out the way we expect. Um, I, I think there's going to be a, a tremendous number of opportunities uh, for communities all over this country and all over the world to take this technology and clean up their waste streams and create renewable energy. So we're, this is a game changer for us. We've been waiting 13 years for this opportunity. <laughs> we're very excited. Long time. So great. Fantastic. And we're looking forward to, to seeing the news about that, the success of it. And uh, thanks for your time here. And thanks for all your support in the community and, and globally for that matter, for helping make the world, world a better place. Thank you so much. I really op- appreciate the opportunity.